You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow here in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, Meta's push into generative AI. Mark Zuckerberg announces artificial intelligence tools that are coming to Instagram Messenger. WhatsApp, we're going to run through the entirety and get the reaction to Meta Connect. And Apple asked the US Supreme Court to reverse its App Store ruling won by Epic two years ago. We're going to bring you the latest details. Plus, TikTok airs an ad during the Republican debates moments after candidates spar over security concerns with the app. We'll have more on that and the company's e-commerce ambitions too. But first, let's check in on these markets because actually we've got the Nasdaq managing to push up more than a percentage point, even in the face of growing yields. On the 30-year, actually, we're basically flat up about one basis point. We had been at decade highs. In fact, the highest since 2010 on the 30 year. Maybe a bit of a correction going on with yields pulling down on the front end. We've had some weaker macro data today, Ed. We're still trying to work out the direction of travel for Federal Reserve and global central banks as they still have to tackle pretty strong economies, particularly here in the United States. The dollar manages to pull down after days of rallying. So maybe that's a sigh of relief for some of the riskier assets out there at the moment. We're seeing dollar index by five tenths percent move on to Bitcoin, therefore, and Bitcoin manages to push higher versus the US dollar. That risk appetite building a little bit in the OG world of crypto. So if we can just shine a light on what's happening in Bitcoin, we are higher on the day. So currently up almost 3.3%. Ed, to you on the micros. Yeah, we've got news and we've got earnings. On the news side, Peloton has a content deal with Lululemon. The stock up 7% now had been much higher later in the show. We're going to bring you the analyst reaction because this is all around Lulu's mirror. Uh, but it has a finite life and it's really interesting to see the stock bounce all over the place. On the earnings side, Micron, the biggest US maker of memory chips, we're talking DRAM, we're talking NAND, projecting a wider than expected loss for the current quarter, the fiscal first uh, ending in November. But there are signs that the memory market may be in the trough, coming out of a trough. We'll go deeper on that later in the program. There's an interesting day two to Meta Connect, Meta's developers conference. Look at the stock on a two-day basis. The trading's kind of all over the place. Like, while Meta Connect was going on, kind of disinterested, the stock falls. 
closes basically flat on Wednesday, but we're significantly higher today. We had the hardware announcements around Quest 3 and the smart glasses, but as you talked about, Caro, it's about the integration of what it's been working on the research side, large language models, now generative AI tools into its suite of apps and offerings. Yeah, and let's just listen, Ed, as to what Mark Zuckerberg really articulated about AI at the event. Take a listen. But our view is that you know, people are going to want to interact with a bunch of different AIs for the different things that you want to do. And I actually think that over time, a lot of you are going to want to make your own AIs to advance individual goals that you have, whether you're a small business and you want to interact with customers, or if you're a creator and you want to engage your community, or whatever it is that you do. Used to say Mark Gurman, who is our hands-on product guy, can also well delve into how much these sorts of chatbots, celebrity endorse some of them, or notably just the way in which you think generative AI is going to up the ante on some of their devices and indeed the offering they have for across-the-board social media. I certainly think the new devices are impressive, right? But this is really maybe the last stand for Meta, right? Meta for the last few years has been pushing the idea of their Quest headsets being the very core of the metaverse, right? This idea of using headsets in virtual reality for the future of working online, for communicating with people as the future of the social network. But if you watched MetaConnect, you'll notice that Mark Zuckerberg didn't really mention the metaverse, right? This latest Quest 3, these new smart glasses with Ray-Ban, it's a pivot away from the metaverse and a move towards two things, productivity and AI, right? They're pushing towards what Apple is doing with mixed reality. And I think the Quest headset, the goal there is to focus on performance, gaming, and productivity, whereas the smart glasses, they have a lot of AI features. Now, let's take a look at the AI. There's these generative AI chatbots. Uh, there's these celebrity chat heads. Uh, there are a few other things related to stickers. There's AI-based collaboration. And these are things Meta really needed to do, right? But nothing they announced this week is novel at this point. We've seen a lot of similar technology from Microsoft, from Google, already from Amazon a couple weeks ago, certainly from OpenAI uh, and others. So Meta's a bit of a laggard here, but they did what they needed to do to be there in 2024, which of course is going to be the year of AI for Apple as well. So Mark, what does AI look like at Meta in its suite of apps. You know, you, I don't know if you're still using Facebook, uh, the apple.com, but you're on Instagram. Did they demonstrate what that actually looks like as a consumer, a user of social media? Yeah, I mean, AI is now going to be completely integrated across the suite of Facebook apps, whether that's the main Facebook Blue app, whether that's Messenger, Instagram, WhatsApp. And what you're going to get there is a chat GPT-like system integrated as a chatbot into those different messaging services, right? So have it write messages for you, have it do collaboration on your behalf with other people in your contact list. So it's a fully integrated expression of this generative AI, which is really what chat GPT has been missing. Chat GPT is this core technology. It's novel. It can do some cool things, but it's not integrated into a platform. And you're seeing Meta being one of the first companies to show integration of AI across their platform, not to do similar, not too unsimilar from when Amazon showed a couple weeks ago, generative AI being built into Alexa. So really the next step of these generative AI tools is moving from this sort of raw data, these raw functions, into something integrated into existing platforms. And I think you're going to see that from Apple happen as well uh, next year. And I think Meta uh, really showed some, some of the most cool stuff so far that we've seen in the AI world because of how integrated it is into the existing workflows that consumers use on a daily basis. Okay, you heard from Mark number one. That was Zuckerberg. Thanks to Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. He's Mark number two. Let's get to Mark 
number three. Joining us now is analyst Mark Mahaney over at Evercore ISI, Senior Managing Director, and outperform rating on Meta with a $435 price target. Mark, I start by asking you, do you understand how Meta will make money from integrating its generative AI progress into the existing suite of apps? Yes. Explain it to us. Okay, so uh, sorry about that, but um, yes, uh, look, they've been in, they've been using AI. I mean, um, if you use it, there are three billion people who use Facebook and Instagram, and those people who have used it have noticed something in the last two years that's been driven by AI, which is. Uh, um, the, the the news feed has changed. It's gone from just content about from your friends and family to content uh, from across the internet. It's gone from being a social site, social media site with the accent on social to a social media site with an accent on media. That's artificial intelligence. That's helped them that they've deployed it to make the user experience more broad, more uh, broader, more all-encompassing, and it's paid off. You've seen rising engagement. Then flip it over to the advertiser side. You've seen return on ad spend improve, recover at Meta over the last year. That's showing up in this dramatically accelerating ad revenue growth. It shows up in our um, in our um, in our advertiser uh, channel check. So look, we've already seen successful deployment of AI. I don't think the market realizes this. And now what they're doing is taking it a step further with generative AI and the use of chatbots and the use of these, um, of these uh, how would you call them, these little widgets, you know, uh, emojis, et cetera, on the site. They're going to make the site even more engaging using generative AI. And on the chatbot side, here's the, they're going to better monetize it because they're going to increase your engagement on the site. But then with uh, the chatbots, there's a real pitch here for businesses. This can reduce materially customer service costs. This gives businesses a chance, businesses that rely on WhatsApp and Facebook Messenger to interact with customers. This allows them to better, more efficiently handle customer complaints, customer service requests, et cetera. So I think there's a lot of wins here. Everybody focuses us on NVIDIA and AWS and Microsoft is the big plays off of infrastructure and platforms. But here's the killer app, and it's a Facebook meta that's deploying generative AI right in front of our faces, and they're using it to improve user engagement and advertisers spend. Okay, so that, with a bit of a mic drop, Mark, was a great analysis of how we're going to see money spinning out of generative AI. How does it fit into, well, the rebranded meta, the metaverse, the actual yeah. hardware? How much do you think that that is a decent future competitor to what Apple will eventually bring us in the first quarter of 2024? Yeah, so I don't know the answer to that, Caroline. That's tougher. Um, and what I find interesting about the way the stock traded, and I don't want to over-ascribe intelligence to the to the markets. The market's usually right. But as as we had conversations yesterday during MetaConnect about uh, the metaverse, about the devices and the glasses, the stock kind of tricked down. And then we started getting into generative AI. The stock moved up, and that's the focus today. So I think that what it tells you is the market would like to hear a little less from Zuckerberg and company about the metaverse and more about how they're going to deploy generative AI. And I think Zuckerberg kind of got the memo. I think this was an event that was kind of pitched as kind of part metaverse, part AI. But when they actually came to giving us details, we got a lot less metaverse uh, a lot less Oculus yeah. and Quest, and we got a lot more AI, and that's why the stock's reacting the way it is. So, you know, the market's telling Zuckerberg, you know, kind of let's limit down the amount of, that you're investing in the metaverse, and we really appreciate what you're doing in generative AI. That's one of the reasons we think the stock goes higher. But I, I still want to ask you, Mark, does spending 15 minutes with a mixed reality headset on, either watching something or playing something at the weekend, does that appeal to you? 
I, I got, I've tried both. I've got both versions of the, the quest, you know, the Gen 1 and Gen 2. Uh, the truth of the fact is I gave it to my children and they loved it for a day. Uh, so it's, have I seen something that's enduringly appealing to, to people, to adults and, uh, and to all sorts of people? No, not yet. But is the potential there? I mean, why not? If there wasn't potential, you wouldn't have Apple entering this space. So there, there is a there there, whether whether it, you know, I don't know what if it's if it's Quest 7 that really breaks through and and uh, and then you really at a lower price point and you really get people kind of mass adoption of these devices. I think there's a the potential for that. And then you have to figure out what are the other apps? Is there edu- other educational apps? Absolutely. Are there enterprise apps? Probably. Whether whether Meta can really succeed with those or not, that's a d- different question. But yeah, I'm kind of a believer that there is a there there. Virtual reality, mixed reality, augmented reality. I think there's enough uh, thoughtful people investing in this space and people looking for a different experience. I mean, it is a wow experience. Yeah. It just there's a lot of things that need to improve. But yeah, I think there's a there there. Timing is everything. I mean, in many ways, we saw chatbots and we saw AI with M, and that was, what, 2015 to 2018, and they decided to put that on ice because it wasn't as useful. Now, with generative AI, these chatbots are. Is there a winner-takes-all scenario here, Mark? Because it's interesting that, of course, in this respect, we've got Meta teaming with Bing and, and with Microsoft here. No, I don't think so. I, I think there's going to be a lot of plays. And if we just step back, yeah, it's a wonderful development that we're all going to benefit from as um, you know, as consumers, as businesses, as individuals, you know, what have you. Uh, we're seeing just a dramatic step up in compute power. And that's just a lot. I mean, it all builds on you. You, you wouldn't have Gen AI if you didn't have the Internet, if you didn't have mobile Internet, if you didn't have cloud. Like They all build on each other. It just means that these digital experiences are going to become more relevant, frankly, more personalized, more useful, more entertaining. So I, I, I think it's just super exciting. And I think you're going to see a lot. You know, we've got these waves now of infrastructure and platform investments and people are kind of waiting to see what apps come out of this. And I, I think I'm sure. Sure, there are going to be some apps that you know I can't think of, but that'll be out in the next three to five years that we'll look back on and say wow, or look at it and say wow. But there's also the ability to apply Gen AI today to improve existing processes, existing experiences. Yeah. And I think there's one wonderful example right in front of us now. It's Meta. Mark Mahaney, who doesn't want Snoop Dogg as a dungeon master? Hey, Evercore ISI, we thank you so much. Epic Games, it's the maker of, of course, the popular online game Fortnite. Like it's laying off about 900 employees. That's about 16% of its workforce. That's all according to Source, who says the job cuts were announced in a memo to staff. Epic is one of the biggest privately held video game companies in the world. And, of course, speaking of Epic, well, we know that it's had a long-running battle with Apple. We've got an update on it for you. At the heart of it all, Epic claims that Apple's online marketplace policies violate federal law. Claims that a federal judge rejected two years ago, but yesterday, Epic asked the U.S. Supreme Court to review that ruling. And just this morning, Apple filed its own petition with the Supreme Court to review a different part of that ruling from two years ago. Let's break it all down. Bloomberg's Melty Nayak has been keeping up to speed with what is a very long saga. And just from your perspective, what Epic is trying to bring to the Supreme Court's attention is one particular nuance in the two years ago ruling, a California part of the law. Yes, that's right. So Apple won a majority of the ruling that basically said that it's 
app store policies uh, don't violate federal antitrust laws. And that's the part that Epic is now appealing at the Supreme Court. And Epic won a ruling on a California state law claim related to competition law, where uh, a judge found that the fact that Apple doesn't allow developers to point to alternative payment methods, like perhaps through a link or a button or an email saying, hey, you can go on the web and go directly to my website and make a payment. So so the, the judge thought that was unlawful. And that's the part that Apple is appealing. And Apple wants to make sure that that part of the decision is reversed. And so that's the part that Apple is appealing in parallel uh, Epic is also asking the courts to review a separate part of the original decision. What does Epic want? So Epic um, won uh, one part, which I talked about, but uh, Apple won on the larger sort of aspect about federal antitrust laws. And the court held that its app store policies were absolutely fine and didn't violate any uh, anti-competition laws. So uh, it upheld app store policies at large, and that's the part that uh, Apple won, and Epic wants that reversed. All right, Bloomberg's Malti Nayak at the face of it and all the court battles. Thank you so much. Now, coming up here on Bloomberg Technology, Google has become a favorite for law enforcement, seeking location and search data, even for non-violent cases. That's today's big take. We're going to bring you one of the reporters behind it coming up next. I want to also take a quick look at AMD. There is no news flow catalyst behind this stock, but on track for its biggest jump since May, AMD on a two-day basis, also on track for its biggest jump since May, a bit of momentum rising for two straight sessions. In today's session, up 5.8%. This is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. 
Time now for Talking Tech. First up, Elon Musk's SpaceX. Well, it's received its first contract from the US Space Force. It will provide customized satellite communications for the military under the company's new Starshield program. The decision extends Musk's role as a defense contract. Also teaming up with US agencies is Palantir, signing a $250 million contract with the Defense Department. Under the new three-year contract, Palantir will research, develop AI, and machine learning technology, and affirm its relationship with the US government. Plus, Apple's new iPhone 15, but maybe too hot of a commodity? At least that's what some users are complaining about. Customer gripes have spread online and on social media saying that the back or the side of the phone becomes too hot to touch while gaming during phone calls or indeed when charging it. So Apple, so far, has not responded to requests for common ed. That's a lot to do with titanium, as reported by Mark Gurman. Now, Bloomberg shining a light on a growing trend regarding privacy concerns. Some police are using warrants to dig up location and search data from Google, even for nonviolent cases or on those that have nothing to do with the crime. It's the big, big take out in the Bloomberg magazine on October 3rd. For more, let's go to Julia Love, who covers all things Alphabet, the parent of Google, and, and authored this story. Let's go through the mechanics. So the police try and get a warrant from a judge, and they go to Google, and they ask for this data why? Google has become one of the favorite destinations for law enforcement when they're trying to solve crimes. It has a big repository of location information. So if, say, a burglary takes place at a jewelry store and the police, if they don't have other sources of evidence, they might go to Google to see if Google happens to have registered any devices that were present at the location near the time of the crime. And that can often be, you know, a first step in an investigation, but it raises big pressure privacy concerns. Let's talk about the privacy concerns then. I think what's interesting is you write that this is often an avenue when a detective is at a loss. They can't go any further, so they turn to Google, but they are getting hold of people's data. Yes. The problem is that because Google has such big databases, that means that in order to find the potential suspects, they have to also go through data of people who had nothing to do with the crime. And police sometimes will have to go through those innocent users' data in order to, ho to home in on the users who truly might be involved. Julia, it's extraordinary, the numbers. Google says it received a record 60,472 search warrants in the US alone last year. And we know that's a lot. We know that in many ways, Apple has a different way of, of allowing or disallowing the sharing of such information. But you know, look, they also, if you're using Google Maps on your Apple iPhone, then your data will be exposed as well. Ultimately, what are people taking issue with and how are people starting to fight back on this? What's Google's response? So there's different schools of thought on this. Some people feel that we need to give law enforcement every tool that they can to solve crimes. But other people feel that the privacy implications are just too great. They, um, they are concerned about the possibility of um, using search data. Um, you know, a search for the address where a crime took place could have been committed by the culprit, but it also just could have been conducted by someone who was on their way to the place. And so some people just feel feel like that's too big a risk to take. And legislation has been proposed in New York and California to ban the police from turning to doodle in this way. Your story really focuses on one particular, well, National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers Fourth Amendment Center, a guy called Michael Price, and just sort of highlighting that 
this is almost the opposite of how a warrant used to be, where you'd ask for specific details on a specific person, and this is sort of far more catch-all. I go again and ask, has Alphabet, has Google responded to all of this? How are they dealing with it internally? These warrants put Google in a difficult spot. They're court orders, so they're not optional. The, the company is obligated to comply. However, they really go over them with a fine-toothed comb. They try to identify warrants that are overbroad and that potentially violate the Fourth Amendment, and they do push back on those. They've got a big team staffed by lawyers, but also um, often young people just starting their careers who, who are tasked with fighting back, but they do find that if a judge has signed off on it there's only so much the company can do it's an amazing piece to go and read yourself and Davy Alba we really appreciate you running us through it go get the Business Week article and delve into it thank you Julia welcome back to Bloomberg Technology I'm Caroline Hyde in New York and I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. Let's get that private market news. It's time for the VC Roundup. And an alumnus of Google's AI research unit, DeepMind, has a new venture fund, Mythos Ventures, that will bankroll young AI startups. The firm was founded earlier this year and has raised $14 million from more than four dozen different investors. That all according to a filing. And also OpenAI is in talks to raise more than $1 billion from SoftBank to develop a consumer AI device. That's the Financial Times reporting, citing sources. And OpenAI chief Sam Altman has tapped former Apple design chief Johnny Ive to design, quote, the iPhone of artificial intelligence. Plus, AlphaSense says it raised $150 million in a Series E financing round led by Bond, bringing its valuation to $2.5 billion. It will use the funds to expand the enterprise solution, grow its collection of searchable business content, and make strategic acquisitions that expand its platform capabilities. Cara. Meanwhile, let's stick with the private markets for a moment because Blacklane is an app providing premium global chauffeur services. It's closed at Series F funding, with the company seeing a valuation that's roughly 50% higher than its previous one from 2020. Backers of the Series F include Mercedes-Benz Mobility, Gargash Enterprises and Sixth, who is partnered with the company as it continues to expand. So Jens Waltorf, I'm pleased to say, Blacklane CEO, is joining us. And remind us, Jens, back in, what was it, 2011 when you first founded this company, many felt, okay, the European version of Uber, but you've managed to carve a different path, offering longer kind of rides. How are you distinct? Yeah, um, exactly as you said. It's about um, the use case that we serve. It's a different one than if you would just hop into um, a, a car that transports you around the block. Um, it's a bit like food, if you want, right? If you, there's the um, there's this uh, fast food chain, there is a mid-tier uh, restaurant, and there are top restaurants out there uh, where quality counts, where you really want to enjoy the experience. And it's comparable to us. We are one of those top restaurants, if you want, the top transportation um, service, and uh, you can enjoy it, especially when you spend long times in the car. So yeah. naturally, the long distance is our um, sweet spot. And we're looking at a lot of Mercedes-Benz there. It feels as though you've got a few strategic investors on board, Mercedes-Benz Mobility being one of them, and Sixth. Just how are you teaming with ultimately a company that well, would rent me a car for a short-term basis? Yeah, same same explanation actually. It's about use cases, right? And uh, sometimes you have the use case for a rental car, but also a sixth customer sometimes wants a different op option. And um, and therefore, um, when you are already playing in a premium mobility space, then a um, the premium chauffeur service Blacklane fits very well 
into the portfolio. And um, so we are actually partnering up. We will be int introduced into the Sixth booking channels. That's helping us for distribution. It's helping Sixth to capture a new service uh, that they can offer to their customers. So it's a win-win. We are starting in North America and then uh, continue to expand globally. Jens, the, the two big stories of the last year in this space were the rental car companies not having inventory because of their knee-jerk reaction to the pandemic, and then on the you know the the, the ride-sharing side, the driver deficit and driver supply. How did chauffeur manage and navigate those two scenarios? Yeah. That's a great question. It was indeed a challenge for the whole industry, um, not only the car industry, the rental car industry, but also the whole hospitality industry. And we are um, operating um, uh, in, in both in both segments, right? So it was about car shortage, uh, chip crisis. It was about um, chauffeurs um, uh, and, and supply of, of, um, of premium chauffeurs, uh, which is difficult, right? It's not a commodity. A professional chauffeur is something very special that needs training. Um, and last, week, last year, we quadrupled our revenue. Right? So imagine such a demand surge into our systems. Uh, luckily, we have a very solid and loyal base of chauffeur services. We helped them also to pull through um, the difficult times of the pandemic. Uh, so we were able to keep up to our um, high standards of actually almost 100% fulfillment rate for every booking um, that is being placed in our system, also during those times. So I also find the cap table interesting. Caroline's absolutely right. You know, you look at Sixt and Mercedes. But... What is it that, that you guys have, Black Lane, technologically speaking? What is it that, that is unique, that, that justifies this round, justifies what is a 50% jump in valuation? Yeah, it's the whole package, right? It's the digital product that is driving a lot of value, right? We are um, a technology company, right? We have a, a huge engineering a team that is building the dispatching technologies behind, that are building the, the apps for both sides of the marketplace, that are building also the products for um, city to city, for instance, or, um, or prediction algorithms um, to, to, to understand how the next day might evolve. Because we have like a lot of inflow into our system. We have pre-booked rights, we have on-demand rights, we have um, a very special fleet. We want to utilize those exclusive fleets in many markets in a most uh, optimal manner. So it's a very different spin to technology than um, if you compare to pure on-demand play, for instance. And when using the new funds, Jens, is it about talent? Is it about those engineers? Is it about expansion and marketing? Where do you deploy the cash? Yeah, it is about all of that. It's like we grow, especially on the technological side. We will invest heavily into continue to push the limits technologically. We will launch more products. Um, the city to city is one of those. Uh, Philadelphia to New York, uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, LA, um, uh, Santa Barbara. Those those kind of road routes are really growing uh, significantly well. We will push them and we will launch more markets. We have an electric only fleet now um, in cities like Dubai, for instance, on the road. Uh, we want to continue being also the sustainability leader in the transportation industry, right? In 2017, we were the first to offset every single ride, um, and uh, and we were we have led the industry uh, to follow. Now we want to also lead the electrification side, and uh, and and this is uh, also uh, something that that uh, requires investment, of course. Jens, I said earlier that this was a 50% jump in valuation. It's just Caroline and I and the global <laughs> Bloomberg technology audience, just between us. What's the valuation? Are you a unicorn based on this? Give us some scale. We are on a great way to, to reach it. Um, not there yet, um, but um, if we continue to grow 
in the, with those numbers uh, quadrupling last year, this year also looks very, very promising. Um, uh, I, th I think we will, we will meet again, the three of us, and discuss this in more detail. <laughs> All right, Jens Wartoff, Black Lane CEO, great to have you here on the program. Thank you. Caroline. Uh, next time, we'll tease it out of him. Meanwhile, get a quick market check. As we assess the private markets there, let's look at the public. We're up by 1.3%, the Nasdaq 100. We're actually managing to see a relatively risk-on kind of a day, even though we see some macro weakness. Maybe it is as we anticipate the Federal Reserve not having to go so far, so far as we're looking at the two-year yield, actually coming down some fair basis points. It's still above 5%. Nevertheless, we are pulling back a little bit. That's spurring Bitcoin to the higher side. Go into the individual names for a moment, Ed, because we have had some lackluster numbers coming out. Workday down 8% worse performer on the NASDAQ 100 as it perhaps regages new team, new CFO, and just recalibrating growth. 17 to 19% revenue increase is where they're expecting it. We're seeing Micron up some 3%, down some 3% as well. That too, as they curtail some of their outlooks on the back of what is still a very difficult market for some chip makers if they're not being really spurred by artificial intelligence. And I'm looking at SiriusXM. This one continues to be volatile. Liberty media, of course, trying to be combining its own 85% stake in these traded stock of Sirius XM. And at the moment, we're up some 17%, but yesterday it was down hard. From New York, from San Francisco, this is Bloomberg Technology. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice, or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. <laughs> Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. take a quick look at Peloton shares because they're doing pretty well. Uh, well, the biggest move since July 31st of this year, at one point moving the highest since February. That's after agreeing a deal with Lululemon to tap its online workouts and team up on apparel. Dan Telsey, I'm pleased to say founder of Telsey Advisory Group, is with us now, writing a note on what ultimately seems to be Peloton once again finding new partnerships, way to bring their product to more people, while Lululemon seems to be stepping back from its mirror product. 
Yes, Lululemon is stepping back from its mirror product, but keep in mind, it's less than 1% of sales. I think the partnership with Peloton adds something to each. For Lululemon, they get digital content that they don't have to provide themselves that now becomes a lower cost. It's a revenue share for Peloton, given the app memberships, and they'll get a percentage of that fee. So with both communities having engaged fitness members, it's a win-win for each. And the co-branded apparel only is a benefit to Lulu, given they wholesale the product to Peloton and they sell it in their stores and online. Talk to us about, therefore, what the apparel part of it means for Peloton, because they were trying to make their own kit, and basically, was that just wasn't working out for them? It didn't work. The apparel didn't work. It definitely requires inventory management. It requires design and talent. It requires an infrastructure and sourcing and manufacturing. Take that away with the awareness that Lulu has with their apparel, brand it with Peloton and Lululemon, you have a win-win for each. And at the same time, for Peloton, it helps to increase their presence. Keep in mind, Lulu has around 13 million members compared to Peloton, which doesn't have that sort of ilk. And as a result, you can basically grow the reach. I do not think that Lululemon is buying Peloton. I think this is an opportunity for Lululemon to continue to attract new members, and they don't have to bother with the digital content, of which Peloton has a ton, that consumers seem to value and like. Dana, I still find the shares reaction weird because at the end of this year, Lululemon discontinues the mirror. So basically what Peloton gets is access to an audience that exists now but won't grow in the future. Why is the stock up so much? I think the reason why Peloton is up is because to be able to partner with Lululemon, a powerhouse in terms of fitness, a real differentiator in terms of their apparel assortment and the technicality and functionality. And keep in mind with apparel what Lulu is doing. You look at accessories, which grew 44% on top of 51% in the prior quarter. You're entering a wider universe with a quality partner that is a real solid balance sheet. Does this signal anything to you about the value of Peloton's content? Like how good it is? I think it does signal what the value is. They have great instructors, and some of those instructors are going to become Lulu brand ambassadors, and they have a constantly changing product suite and basically content suite that is going to continue the appeal to Lulu members of their app. So I think it's a win-win for each, and I think the transition to the Peloton app for Lulu members will only expand the platform for each of them. How far can Barry McCarthy take this? How many more deals, how many interlinking and interwoven partnerships can he bring to the table to really sort of inspire this pop in the shares? A lot, and I think he needs a lot. I mean, yes, obviously the stock is up today, but it's still a long way off from where it had been. And you're really transitioning into a new normal in this post-pandemic world. So the way for their content to prove value added to a wider audience, I think is what he's looking to do and looking for these partnerships to increase the value of what Peloton is today and what it could be in the future. I mean, 500 million is what I think Lululemon spent on Mirror. And they basically like wiped it out. They wrote it off. It's better to try and fail fast rather than keep it going and not continue investing. We know where their growth is coming. It's coming from international, it's coming from enhanced product, and now an increased member base too. That is organic growth 
What about inorganic growth? You know, you said that you don't think Lululemon's going to buy Peloton, but it's always part of the conversation, someone buying Peloton. Do you see that happening anywhere? It'll depend on these partnerships. Who do they partner with? What does it add to the value of the company that they're partnering with? That'll be the key. And what can Barry McCarthy do in order to create a data company and a content company rather than a product company? The data has more value than the product, and they still have product that they need to move. I'm I'm glad you went there. I think it's time we asked you, uh, Dana, Give us your Barry McCarthy scorecard. What do you think of the job that he's done? I mean, he's improving the business by being able to partner with Lululemon. I don't think any of us would have seen a Lululemon partnership a year ago. So showcasing the value of what the content is and what the member base is, given the similarity and demographic to a Lulu, it's a win-win. It wouldn't have been here a year ago. And that's a proof point that's positive. You still need more on the board because free cash flow, break even free cash flow, is definitely the quantitative scorecard that you have to measure in the future. It's interesting. We all sort of reassessed Peloton and decided, look, this isn't a mass market product. This is a high-end product. It's got more of a niche. There's a tonal. There's a Peloton. There's, you know, these more unique ways in which we sell. But now it feels as, as a content company, you're thinking it could be more of a mass product again. It can be because you look at some of the floor exercises that you have that you don't need product for. We know where Barry McCarthy comes from. We know what he's been doing. Look, he's on the board of Instacart also. So he knows what's needed to create value. Can he get from here to there in a fast enough time frame is what needs to be seen. Is there a future for at-home workouts? And the reason I ask that is I'm an Equinox member, right? They have an agreement with SoulCycle on the content side. So you can either go to a human-led class or you go to the gym and you use a library of classes. Peloton's not quite gone there yet. Do you think they will? It's something certainly they'll examine over time. I don't think there's anything that they're not looking at in order to extract value. So it's, it's a matter of time, just like what we've been seeing with some of these partnerships that Barry McCarthy is putting in place. All right, Dana Telsey of Telsey Advisory Group. Great to have you on the program and what's Thank been a you. big story. We need to win elections. And part of how we win elections is reaching the next generation of young Americans where they are. This is infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps that we could have. That was Republican candidate Nikki Haley there criticizing her rival Vivek Ramaswamy for joining the app TikTok and echoing other politicians' concerns around the app's growing role in the U.S. And moments after candidates debated on how best to limit China's influence in the U.S., a commercial break featured an ad from TikTok. Ads from the social media platform appeared several times throughout the broadcast, with one of them featuring a U.S. Navy veteran who goes by the nickname Patriotic Kenny. Let's bring in Bloomberg Sarah Fryer, our technology editor, who pretty much leads coverage of social media. Okay, so what were the arguments for and against in this debate? Well, I think that there's there's a, a real problem that politicians have here, which is that they want to show that they are strong on China, that they have this this ability to maintain our, our national security as a foremost priority, but at the same time, they want to make sure that they get elected. And 
if you want to reach young voters, you have to be on TikTok. Uh, much like halftime at the Super Bowl, you know, ads that run in these political debates get seen by lots of people. Has anyone actually had anything to say about the irony of that since it happened? Well, I, I think that it's it's just it goes to show how critical TikTok is right now as part of our cultural infrastructure. I mean, this is an app that is um, that really gained seen during the ben- pandemic, but isn't going anywhere. They're only expanding their ambitions. They're moving to shopping, going head to head with Amazon. Uh, we've written about that a bit, um, and and they have. Um, You've had this pressure from the U.S. government on, you know, should we ban this app? Should we figure out how to put restrictions on them? They had that partnership with Oracle, but that that criticism has slowed down. The government has bigger problems. They have a potential shutdown coming this weekend. So, so I think that that TikTok is now like, hey, we need to use this opportunity to advertise to U.S. consumers. We are gonna be part of the 2024 election, and and that's what. Um, that's what we're going to try to take advantage of. Caroline, when we cover the news with TikTok, it's regulation, it's the relationship with China, but out in the real world, across America, tens of millions of people use TikTok and they love it. Yeah, 1.7 billion people use it across the world. And Sarah, to that point, has the growth at any point showed any deterioration? Has it at any point seen that US have pushed away against the app? Well, I think that we've we've continued to see growth here. Um, one struggle that TikTok recently faced is actually in Indonesia, which is a place where it is extremely popular. But the government is starting to get concerned. Um, they said that now TikTok cannot, as they expand their shop tool there, they actually can't directly connect collect payments um, through the app. So that really hampers their ability to expand there. So I think I think when resistance to TikTok's growth does come, it comes in the in the form of um, government resistance. And I think there's going to be more of that for this particular app just because of its Chinese-based ownership. Um, it, it's a little, it, it gets a little bit more of a microscope, a little bit more scrutiny than the other apps. And those Republican candidates would tell you that's for good reason. And talk to us a little bit more about the e-commerce play here. And we had Mark Mahaney on a little bit earlier in the show, and he's been putting out a note on Amazon, the opportunity to buy into that stock after its dip, and but also some of the competition, real or false, coming from the Timus and, and the TikToks of this world. How much of a pressure do you think it will be from an e-commerce perspective? Well, we had the scoop here at Bloomberg on the Black Friday campaign that TikTok is planning. They're going to give really steep discounts on TikTok for for their for their goods, and they're going to make it really easy for merchants. They're essentially paying for merchants to to have visibility on the app and not have the same kind of fees that they have when they list on Amazon. Whether that's going to work to migrate consumers to do their Black Friday shopping or holiday shopping on TikTok, I don't know. Um, but it certainly is the, the most significant um, run up against Amazon that we've seen in the U.S. in a while. Um, and they do have the, the budget to to make it happen. Isn't it ironic just as the FTC is really pounding the anti-competitive table, these competitive edges seem to keep coming in. Sarah Fryer, we thank you so much just really drilling down on the world of TikTok. Meanwhile, look, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology yet. Yep, recap on the podcast. Listen to everything we discussed across the news in the world of technology on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and of course across all of our Bloomberg platforms. More to come from San Francisco and New York City. This is Bloomberg.
You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.